hey, it's good to be in the house of the Lord together with you this morning. I'm excited for what God's going to do in our midst as a community, as a family. And hey, I just got some things that I want to let you know before we get into the message this morning. Uh, most of what I'm about to say, you can see once again in the handouts and the seat backs in front of you that lets you know about our updates as a church community. Um, and so look through that. You can bring that home. You can take that with you. Um, otherwise, let me just go through some some things today. Immediately after service, we are going to have a quick maximum 20 minute kids church interest meeting. Um, and I'm really excited for that because of uh, some great individuals, uh, especially one in particular that's very near and dear to me. Uh, that's going to be a part of that that I'm going to mention something special in a moment. So that's immediately after service. It's going to be really quick. Uh, so we'll give individuals who are not going to stay an opportunity to leave. But understand, this is an interest meeting. It doesn't mean that you have to have had served in any former capacity in kids ministry. It's just, hey, I want to know about what we're going to be doing in the upcoming months to restart our kids church ministries and maybe allow the Lord to move on my heart if he wants me personally to be involved in it. So listen, that's again, that's for everybody that wants to be involved. But for those that can't stay, we'll give a quick about five minute buffer at the end of service for you to make your way out and then for us to stay. Um, now, that being said, we also have something else really exciting starting this Tuesday, and that is a Zoom group called Experiencing Spiritual Intimacy. Now, guys, I'm sorry. Uh, in the days and months to come, we'll have some for you, but this is a lady Zoom group uh, led by none other than our very own Tina Laffey. Tina, can you just wave your hand for everybody to see? So that is Tina. She had it laid as a church community and prepare for social distancing. Which means if we had a lot of new people come with a house that is attended like it is today, we wouldn't be able to social distance. So that's why we do our registration so that we can know in advance how many people are coming. Uh, and therefore, we can prepare by maybe adding a second service, which is nothing but a good problem, something to praise God for. So that being said, later tonight or late afternoon registration on our website will be open for you to register for our Easter Sunday service. I can't emphasize enough. Please, as soon as you can, if you're going to be a part of us that Sunday, register for that service so that we have enough time to see, all right, we already got a packed house. We need to add a second service or not. So please register for that later today. Also, in regards to that Easter Sunday, we are going to be having a touch-free Easter egg hunt. And I can't wait for that because... We've got the property for it, and it's going to be such a cool time that I've already talked with, uh, I've talked specifically with my wife and then with our very own Sherelle, who is going to just help and then get a number of other individuals involved with that, and it's kind of going to be like a scavenger hunt. So you're not going to pick up the eggs, but we're going to place them all over the place, give a piece of paper with some hints about where you can go and check off when you find it. I myself am planning on climbing up on the roof and putting one to the steeple. I'm going to duct tape it around. Something like that. We got to come up with something clever about, I don't know, the egg that points to Jesus in the sky. I don't know. Something like that. Uh, we're going to give away candy. We're going to have a raffle for the, in, for the, the kids that completed all. There are going to be 30 specifically that are strategically placed throughout our property that you got to find and check off. 
Um, and this is all happening after service that Sunday. So it's welcome for all of our kids and families that are here and spread the word about this. We're going to have some materials that you can hand out to invite people in the weeks to come to this special Easter Sunday and that touch-free egg hunt. Uh, and then the last thing that I want to say about that in specific is if you would be willing, please donate candy. I want to give away candy in an ungodly amount, if that makes any sense. I would love to just be able to just give bags of candy away, like make Halloween look like a joke for some families. Um, and we're going to do that carefully, keep it all wrapped up so that everybody knows it hasn't been tampered with. Uh, but if you can please donate any kind of candy, uh, that would be much appreciated. Lastly, I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but this is important. Lastly, the Sunday before Easter Sunday, so that is the 28th, um, that Sunday immediately after church, there's going to be a group of individuals who are going to be, if you would like to, to gather together and actually do some really creative craft egg development. That sounded like crazy, like almost something medical. That's not what I meant. Like, we're going to craft fun Easter eggs together that none other than Miss Bonnie is going to be the point person. If you want to sign up for it, you can come and see her after service, put your name and, uh, and then there's going to be a number of individuals from Tina. And Tina, I think you've talked with a few others. You got Brenda, you got Esther. Uh, so if you want to be a part of that crafting party, that's going to be the 28th immediately after service. And those eggs are also going to be used to give out to families with young children on Easter Sunday. So again, this isn't, it's fun because we get to have some fun as a community for those that want to be a part of it. But it's also serving a need, serving others, letting them know that we at Glad Tidings, we're a church of love. We are a church that is known for love. So all that being said, that was a lot. I'll keep reminding you throughout the weeks. Just get ready for Easter Sunday. Uh, but before I get into my message, I have one more thing that I am very honored and privileged to do. And last Sunday night, we had our annual business meeting, and we needed to elect two new board members and our Christian education director that I had the privilege of being able to uh, put before the congregation simply to ratify. And so at this time, I want to ask none other than our veteran in the realm of deacons, Curtis Ash, would you come to the stage right now? I'm going to ask Ms. Sherelle, would you come to the stage? And I'm going to ask my wife if you would come to the stage right now. I just wanted you to be able to see these incredible individuals. Sherelle, you can get right there, right in the middle for everybody to see you. Um, these are additions that have been selected in the eyes of God by you, our church, to help lead us as a community. They need your prayers just as much as all of us need to be praying for each other. But they have now assumed, well, Curtis, you've already been in those positions of leadership. You're the veteran right here. But uh, you have assumed positions of leadership that we as a church need to support them, need to pray for them, and need to help them if they come to us say, hey, we are being led by God to do this. Would you partner with us? So I want us to give them the respect that is due them because God has willed it. This isn't something that one person decided. This is something that we by faith trusted the Lord for. So our two board members, now we got two ladies on our board. And two guys, three guys, three guys uh, on our board. And then none other than my wife, who is our Christian education director. And she is going to be working closely with a number of individuals as they are led, uh, specifically for the realm of kids ministry and in the future small groups that we're going to be doing as a church. 
Uh, so we're just so excited for that. I'd ask you to, after service, just maybe say congratulations. God bless you to them. But otherwise, can we just give it up for them as they make it back to their seats? God bless you guys. All right. That was a mouthful. Now, let's get to the word this morning. Um, Evie, do you mind bringing up my prop for today? Use this microphone stand as a, as a hanger. Uh, but Bill today teased me, saying he get, didn't get the invitation for the wedding because he liked my threads today, and he's just jealous. But uh, I, I wore a suit specifically, not just because I like to wear a suit every once in a while, but uh, I wanted to illustrate a point that I have for you. Um, throughout the years, we all go through changes, emotional changes, spiritual changes, physical changes changes that unfortunately because of worldly circumstances and things outside of our control can cause us to be in a certain state that may be more desirable or less desirable and um you see this jacket right here see you know i love this jacket i bought this jacket when i was a junior at bible college um it's got patches man that's when you know, you're like, this is nice. I think I got it from Boscov's and Clearance, and I saw all this thing. I was like, I want this, and I got it, and I wore it around Bible campus like I was all that and a bag of chips. And, um, and I, I just love this thing. And amidst all of my clothes, most of which got robbed when we moved out to Washington, somehow this one remained. And I don't get it because I'm like, all my clothes got robbed except for my dirty ones, and I wasn't wearing this on the drive out to Washington. So somehow, this has remained in my possession throughout the years, um, and I love it. Track with me right now. I like this jacket, man. I really like this jacket. Might need your help. Nobody asked you, but you're right. How do I look? Yeah. The big boy clothes. All right. This, it, it's a nice jacket, right? Some I'm not ready to give up, but the reality is it just doesn't fit me. So, this could be a lesson to you. Stay away from sweets. My other jacket back on. Last week, I went into my wardrobe and I talked about shoes that I showed you. That you'll notice I'm not wearing this week. <laughs> this week, I went into my wardrobe and I showed you my jacket that I'm holding on to that I want to wear, but I can't wear it. Last week, the title of my message was Cleaning Out Your Closet. This week, the title of my message is Cleaning Out Your Closet Part Now let's quickly review. Paul exhorted the Ephesians throughout chapter 4 not to walk a certain way, but to walk a certain way. We are called to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling we have received. But he said, the way not to walk is the way that the Gentiles did, which in a sense we all were in our former sinful lifestyles. So, what did that look like based on we, what we talked about last week? Let me quickly tell you what that that walk, that 
the Gentiles, that former way of living, looked like. It had the idea of being futile or darkened in your understanding in such a way that removes you or separates you from being able to experience the abundance and the blessing that comes with being a part of the family of God, living a life for the Lord. And this all came about because of a word that we talked about, sensuality. And sensuality, just as a recap, is roughly this idea of unrestrained desire. I'm going to do what I want when I want, and I don't care about the consequences. I'm just going to do me. And that can apply to any aspect of our lives. Based on all of this Gentile form of way of living, Paul then explains that we were taught, in light of that, to put off the old self. Literally, to take it off, like a piece of clothing. Because it just doesn't fit you anymore. And to put on the new person, the new self that you were created in Christ Jesus to be. Now, in these last few verses of chapter 4, we're going to take a look at some practical applications that we can be obedient to as we put on the new self. What does it mean to wear some new spiritual threads? Let me just say it that way. Um, That would be in line with what it means to be a new person, a new creation in Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to see how lying, anger problems, stealing, corrupt speech are all former things of our old self that God wants us to lay aside, and we're going to look at the opposite realities of what those characteristics are as we clothe ourselves with the new self found in Jesus Christ. So Lord, I just ask for your blessing to be upon us as we go to your word now, as we open it up, as we learn its timeless truths. And God, I pray that we would instantly allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon our lives to lead us to a position of humility and obedience to your word. Let us not walk out of here unchanged by the power of the gospel that is Jesus Christ, but let us be willing to lay aside the old self and to put on the new self, specifically as we see it talked about in scripture today. Lord, anoint me to preach this word with sincerity, with humility, and with power from God, and in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay, so today, in cleaning out our closet, part two, we're going to take a look starting in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, and it says this, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So let me, as I usually do, point out a few words that will help us understand what Paul is talking about here more clearly. The first is laying aside falsehood. This honestly can just be understood as lies. But I want us to be a little bit more specific within this context as I believe it applies to us as human beings. Because it's not just talking about a kid going and taking a cookie from the cookie jar and mommy and daddy coming and saying, did you have a cookie from the cookie jar even though I told you not to? And the boy or the girl saying, no, mommy, I didn't lie. Yes, it includes that and every aspect of it. But let me be a little bit more specific. This idea of falsehood is any word spoken that tears someone down that has absolutely no bearing over their lives. We see this clearly fleshed out through the person of Satan. 
we know through scripture that he is a liar and the father of lies. And Satan's primary objective is to thwart the plans of God for his people by causing a wedge to come in between God and his people and to drive a wedge in between the people of God with other people of God so that there will ultimately be nothing but division. And division is the very thing that keeps us from being able to serve God. Because division keeps us focused on the problems and the causes that divided us in the first place rather than looking to the root of the problem, which is Satan, which is sin. Okay. So laying aside that, Paul says that we need to now speak the truth to each other with his neighbor. This is a very specific quote from the Old Testament, and I'll give you the reference. It's Zechariah chapter 8 verse 16 and in the context of this old testament scripture we specifically see the remnant of israelites that god had preserved that were now in captivity to foreign nations that were on the brink of being graciously allowed by god to go back to jerusalem and to reestablish themselves and to serve God as he had originally planned for them to do. Now, in preparation for them to go back and to live for the Lord, we see specifically in the Old Testament exactly what Paul just quoted. It's the command that God gave the Israelites. Very first, he didn't say, get, get enough water to sustain you through the journey on your way back to Jerusalem. He didn't say, make sure you bring enough lumber to build up your houses so that when you get there, you're not homeless. He was going to take care of all of that. God's first and primary concern for his people as they were going to now step back in to this new chapter, this new opportunity to live for the Lord was to speak truthfully to each other. Interesting. This is the very first command that he gives. And now Paul here is saying, when we lay aside falsehood, we need to buy by progression now take upon ourselves truth that is specifically exhibited towards one another this is interesting so paul here in in the language this command to speak truthfully has carries with it this idea of a daily ongoing always happening command it's not something that you just do once or twice here and there throughout your life it's kind of putting on this reality this clothing if you will of i'm ready whenever the opportunity presents itself not to lie but to speak truth and that's interesting because we can apply that in so many ways we can apply that insofar as it can be seen through sin and others within the church community that we need to speak the truth and earlier in chapter four we saw the same phrase speak the truth in love so we go to them in love, but speaking honestly in ways that might be uncomfortable. It could, I believe, be an honest opportunity for us to obey this command as it pertains to us personally, where we need to speak truthfully to ourselves when conviction comes upon us and prepare ourselves to be humble when the Lord sends another to us to say, hey, brother or sister, I want you to know that I love you and I care for you so much so that I'm about what I'm about to say is for your benefit. And it prepares us, it allows us to sacrifice pride. Paul says this is something that we need to every day as believers practice. And again, it's so important for us to understand the context here. 
It's directed toward believers. When you speak the truth, do so towards your family of God. Now, I'm going to kind of go a little bit deeper into that as we progress through these verses, but let me just say this. This command is not exclusively towards us as the church. It needs to be done throughout the whole world, but understand, we are expected, we are commanded by God. This isn't a take it or leave it. This is imperative. This is you must follow this command. Within the body of Christ, speak the truth. Okay. We have this responsibility to speak truth and not lie to each other. What happens when we notice, therefore, that someone is obviously living in sin? How do we speak truth to them? This is important. It's not exhaustive. Again, there's a lot of scripture that tells us how. But today, right here in verses 26 and 27, let's move on to now this second and kind of third command that we see from Paul. It says this in verse 26. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. All right, so be angry and do not sin. Let me give you another reference. It's most likely a quotation from Psalm chapter 4, verse 4, if you want to go and read that later. Now, in that context, it, it, I'm not, I don't want to get too into it, but it has to do with the, the Psalm writer who's being attacked by his enemies. And this is specifically a command or, or, or a cry to the Lord that, Lord, my enemies, the wicked ones, I pray that they would not sin in their anger towards me. Which is interesting because the roles here are reversed, wherein it's anger towards each other because of sin. All right, so let, let's just focus on this. Be angry is an imperative. Do not sin. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's not a take it or leave it. It's something that we need to actively do. This is where, okay, now the, the ball is placed in our possession and we need to act. All right. First, be angry. That's an interesting one, especially for all of you with anger management problems. Look, the Bible gives me uh, the allowance to be angry. Not really. And let's, let's talk about that. You've probably heard this phrase before, righteous indignation. Um, we see here a characteristic that God himself has that we are also to emulate, to show like a mirror that God himself has. Righteous indignation is the idea of being angry because of obvious wickedness and sin. It's something that is just so wrong, so corrupt, so evil, and something that God himself has no association with. And he is angered, he burnt, and his wrath wants to be unleashed upon that we are called to exhibit the same emotion when we are obviously confronted with wickedness, with sin. So a first question that I kind of just want you to have in the back of your head is this. How are you emotionally and spiritually affected when you notice a Christian is sinning? How are you spiritual, spiritually and emotionally affected when you see a fellow Christian in your own household sinning. How are you affected when you see your spouse? I got a better one. How are you affected when you see your kids? How they can do no wrong. They're perfect little angels. Get out of here. I heard that one my whole life. I was one of those. Lie. As Christians, 
we are shown right here by this imperative command to be angry, to have righteous indignation towards sin. We are never told as Christians to adopt a position of indifference since we are commanded here to be angry. So this is where we need to really get uncomfortable. Um, I, I, I really believe that as Christians, we do not want to address sin as far as it pertains to within these four walls. Some of us, that's not everybody, some of us are like, I'm good, I'm ready to drop the bomb on that individual pastor, just give me the go-ahead and I will let him have it. Well, that's also, they shouldn't be desiring to do that. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's an illegitimate uh, heart that you have uh, because it, it should cause us some pain because we see an individual not living for the Lord. It shouldn't be like, yeah, I can't wait to let him have it. But nonetheless, for those of us that are less ready to want to confront that sin, we need to understand so long as we adopt a position of indifference, we are not obeying the commands of God and his word. And this is an imperative. This is something we cannot take it or leave it. It's not something that, okay, that maybe works for you, brother so-and-so, because you have the gift of confrontation. No. This is applied to every single one of us when we're confronted with sin. Are you going to adopt a position of confrontation or indifference? Doesn't make it easy. All right, then he goes on to say, be angry, but do not sin. Which is, again, what we've already been talking about, where we have this idea of revenge, an, an illegitimate indignation, this wrong persona of, I want them to be called out because of what they're doing. Because everybody thinks they are just so holy and so perfect and so righteous, and I can't wait to see them fall. That's illegitimate. That's not the right attitude to be having towards this. All right. It's necessary to bring sin to swift justice. Otherwise, we ruin it. He goes on, and this is an old proverbial saying that's not necessarily taken from Scripture, but it's ancient. It's don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And it has everything to do with this idea of not a timetable, like, Man, if that sun goes down and I'm still angry, oh, geez, I'm sinning and God's going to have righteous retribution upon me. That's not what that's saying. That's not saying that your marriage is going to be infinitely better so long as like, hey, honey, before the sun goes down, we got to work this out. And if the sun goes down, oh, man, we're done. That's not what he's getting at. But there is this idea of don't allow it to stew. Don't allow it to go unaddressed. Okay. So let me give you this point, and then we'll talk about that a little bit more. Failing to address sin decisively is an open invitation for Satan to take up residence in our lives. Those two verses are inextricably linked. It said, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do and do not give the devil an opportunity. The word opportunity here literally means residence, lodging. The idea of when I refuse to allow, when I refuse to confront sin decisively, we're going to talk about it's not easy, and we got to be careful with that, but when I refuse to address it decisively, when I see it and I know in my heart that God is leading me to say something, if I don't do that, it will lead to 
illegitimate indignation, anger in my heart. Because how could that person be going around saying they're a believer? How can that person be serving the Lord? How can that person be calling to, to pray for me when I know what, they're, what they've done and what they're going through? How come you never call them out for it in love? Why do you have any right to be angry if you're not going to go and speak the truth in love? Pastor, that's your job. That's our job. Okay. But we got to be careful that we don't go too far with this. See, let me say this to us as a body of believers. It's easy to point out problems down the block, but how about ones in your own house? It's so easy to just look outside of these four walls. Let's go even outside of the Christian community. Look at what's going on in the world, going on with all of the injustice and the problems that are obviously there that we're not denying. But it's so easy for us as Christians to just kick back recline and look at everything happening outside of our own house and point out all the problems when we've got a world of problems in our own house. And we're called in God's word to be light, to be salt, to be evidence of individuals who are living the exact opposite of the world. But what kind of testimony is that when we think we're good and we're calling out the world for all of its problems, but then they're looking in and saying, you're worse than us. We cannot afford, okay, here, here's the second thing, kind of going to a different aspect of it. Go back to that idea of do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. You cannot force others to respond well to confrontation. This is where I believe that second imperative comes in. Be angry, confront them, speak the truth, but do not sin. Because I believe that's another aspect that we can fall prey to and, and we give Satan a foothold where we do what God's word says. I go and I speak to brother or sister so-and-so. I go and speak to another believer in my family or in my friend circle, and I confront the sin in love, and I follow every single way that I can possibly do it in God's sight that would be pleasing to him and edifying to the body. I did it all right, and yet they're still not willing to receive it. They're angry. They're prideful, which is a strong possibility. We are prideful individuals. It might take time. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry upon your anger is not directed towards both parties. It's directed towards you. You only have control over you. Only you can respond to God's word as he leads you to. So do not try and manipulate someone else to adopt the same exact attitude, spiritual position, emotional state as you. It's wrong if we try to use that verse in such a way to fulfill our own purposes. This is not easy. This is not something that there's an easy fix to. We're just called to speak the truth. Otherwise, if we don't speak the truth, that's when anger that is not righteous can enter in and we give Satan residence in our lives and now he's going to manipulate us and use us and we're going to ruminate and we're going to become bitter and then division is wedged in between the people of God. So we speak the truth. And then the second litmus test that did I do right was don't demand that they receive it immediately. That's not in your control. All you could do is speak it. Failing to, to address sin is an open invitation for Satan to take up residence in our lives. Let's go to verse 28. Now he moves on. It's another just applicable step that we can be obedient to. He who steals must steal no longer. But rather he must labor, 
performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. There's a lot that was said right there. I'm not going to really try to expound every single word there for you, um, but I'm going to give you this point and then I'm going to talk about it. And here's the point. Hardship should never be leveraged to gain, but to give. just be honest with you right now there is there is a robin hood syndrome that's been plaguing society but especially we're seeing it become such a characteristic of not just millennials my generation but of generation z and let me tell you what that robin hood syndrome is i'm going to take from the rich because they're always taking from us, and I'm going to give to the poor. Can we just be honest? Can we be really honest? We're not talking about the wicked gain that obviously many people do get. They live off of the welfare of others. We're not, we're not discrediting that. But why does one evil give us the, the delusion that we have the right to then go around and act evil? And then we try to justify our actions by saying, but I'm, I'm helping others. I mean, to be honest, I haven't heard that. I've just been hearing, all I've heard is, well, the rich are getting richer, and it's not going to hurt them, and so I deserve this. There's not even the justification of, at least I'm taking it and giving it to others. That's not even there. At least Robin Hood had that, and I'm not condoning that. So, listen, listen. COVID-19 hit a year ago. And when this hit, uh, the church that I was working at was no less effective, and it was hit pretty hard financially. And uh, me, along with pretty much everybody else there on staff, could not be paid what we were getting paid. And it was, a, it was a pretty significant hit. My wife was not fired, but furloughed, which means you're not fired, but we can't pay you. And until this all ends, you still technically are, are, are you have a job to come back to, but we can't pay you. So what do you do? Thankfully, in our country, we have, you know, uh, the ability to go on unemployment. Ah, but when millions of people in one time are going on unemployment, the system wasn't ready to handle that kind of volume. And now my wife can't collect unemployment. I'm a privately, I, I still technically have a job, and, and because it's ministry and there's certain things that we don't pay into, I can't collect unemployment even if I wanted to. And now we're kind of looking at each other like, well, well, man. Uh, so... I was blessed by the Lord, and I went out, and I tried to find labor. Don't steal, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. And I was able to get a full-time job at Chick-fil-A, as many of you know. And the Lord supplied. He supplied. My wife, how many weeks was it that you couldn't collect unemployment? Fifteen weeks. Fifteen weeks, she couldn't collect anything. Fifteen weeks, uh, just trying to make it day by day by day but can i tell you that during that time we saw the sec the, the last part of this verse uh really proven out with us as the recipient um so i went out and i worked and i continued to give because i know that's what i'm called to do gave at the church helped in any ways that i could financially even though we didn't have much but then there were people in our church who were reaching out to us who we didn't go and broadcast our business to they they really didn't know uh all of the details and we had some people just start to say, we want to give you money. And they were, they were giving us pretty substantial checks that were providing for our needs. 
So I'm here to tell you as a living witness, God will provide for you in the utmost of destitution if you are willing to take the high road and if you are willing to say, I don't even understand. Can I, can I just, can I, can I say something to you right here? Um, this was written, this verse was written in a time and in a society that didn't have the opportunity to collect unemployment. There wasn't even that fail safe. So if you think, well, this is a really hard to, really hard verse to apply for some of us, which it might be, I'm not taking that away from you. Understand, this was written to individuals who had it even harder, and they're still clearly said in the word of God, it's never a license to sin. This verse isn't written to professional thieves. This isn't like, oh, you guys were out there just like, uh, you know, robbing people blind left and right, making them up. That's bad, obviously. But this is speaking to real life people who are trying to put food on the table for their family who are out of work and they can't make a living. It's speaking to things that we can really apply to ourselves. And the command is don't take that route. Because if you take that route, you've removed yourself from the life of God in which blessings want to be abundantly provided for you. God will take care of you. I'm not talking about you're going to get that Mercedes when you give and pray and are obedient. I'm not talking about that. God will supply your needs. And then the last part of our personal testimony that I wanted to share with you is my wife in this whole process. And this is the big one that I I really want to be real with you about. Um, This isn't to say, oh, look at us, we're so much better. It's not to say that, but it is to say we've walked it, we've lived it, and we've received the blessing because of our hard decision to be good and righteous and faithful to God. My wife, at the end of that 18 weeks, before the end of the 18 weeks or whatever it was, before they finally gave her, thank God they gave her back pay, um, for all that unemployment, she decided that the minute she got that paycheck or right around there, I'm going to go and get a job. I got a job opportunity. It's a lot less than what I made before. It's a lot more taxing and demanding. Uh, for some of us, we would say it's just based on when we grow and the different jobs that we get. It's like, I don't want to go back to that. I did that years ago. I, I've, I've, I've grown so much more. She didn't allow any of that to get in the way. And she went back and she humbled herself and took that job. And, and can I be honest with you? I always joke, but I'm serious. My wife is so much more righteous than I am, and she keeps me honest. My thought was, hey, they're starting to give you unemployment. Why not just keep kicking back and enjoying it? And she was like, no. Because there are others on disability and others that literally can't collect this. So how dare I live off of the welfare that is reserved for others that don't have an option when I have breath in my body, strength in my body, worked like a dog and came home every day, just beat, sore, but still worked. And then God provided her so that she doesn't even have to work in that job anymore. I don't share all of that to you to say, ooh, look at us. We're the epitome of righteousness. We're not. All right. But I'm here to tell you that we have lived it. And I'm sure a lot of you here have lived this. Keep living it. Keep walking in it. Hardship should never be leveraged to gain but to give. You will be given an opportunity to reciprocate the blessings that God places on your life so long as you remain faithful to him. 29 and 30. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, 
according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. So the verse that we just talked about, about don't steal work so that you can give, has this idea of being able to give and help others for their physical needs, their literally physical needs. This verse, as we're going to open it up, uh, is going to show us this in verse 30, which I forgot to read. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Uh, specifically shows us how we are also responsible to help fill the spiritual needs of individuals that come through our speech. So he says, don't let any unwholesome word, but only a word that is good for edification. And then jumps to verse 30 and it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Just like before, if we sin in our anger, we're giving the devil a foothold in our lives. So here we see that so long as we do not allow unwholesome speech to come out of our mouths, but only gracious words to come out of our mouths to be gifts that spiritually edify our brothers and sisters in Christ, then we are giving the Holy Spirit the room that he desires to have to edify the body. Otherwise, you grieve him. So let's let's kind of just break that down really quickly. When we do this, when we do not allow unwholesome words to come out of our mouths, but edifying words, it's so that we would have something to share. And the words there is in verse 29 talk about so that it will give grace. Now, let me just point out this grace is not grace that Jesus gives us the, the hope and the salvation. It's grace that has to do with what we talked about with the charismata, the gifts, these subsequent opportunities that we can bless others as the Holy Spirit works through us. Your words are gifts. How do we contribute to the spiritual needs of the communities right here? Your words. Wow. All right, so then he, he gives the opposite. He goes, but don't let unwholesome words come out of your mouth. And let me just kind of broadly give us a picture of what unwholesome means. It's the idea of being vicious, of being mocking, of gossiping. I hate that. I'm always going to say it. I hate gossip and tearing down. That idea of unwholesome talk. Um, I'm excited because uh, to, to give you a little sneak peek of next week, uh, Pastor Chase is going to be talking next week. Uh, and he's going to get into something that, this is not referring to right here. This right here, the idea of a wholesome talk, it's not talking about cursing you out, a belittling, a belittling you. It's not really talking about it. That's kind of talked about in the next chapter. This right here has this idea of understand it on a broader scale where your words have the power to either give individuals life and hope or to absolutely dismantle them by vicious rhetoric Towards institutions. And again, we're talking about within the church. You know? We're talking about in the church. So, really good example. Um, I don't know. Maybe some of you want to do something different for Easter. But we're doing a touch-free egg hunt. And then there starts to be this little group that starts talking around in the church. What was Pastor thinking? Doesn't he know that's exactly what this is talking about. That, that rumination and that gossip and that unwholesome talk that you're doing nothing but allowing Satan to reign in your mortal bodies because you were angry. You were angry and it wasn't righteous. Okay. Instead, speak words that edify. Literally building up. Okay, so here's my point. 
and I've made it to you in a different context before uh, when we were in the book of Corinthians, but it applies perfectly here within this context. If it doesn't build up, it doesn't belong. That point was made within the context of how do we do ministry? Because there's a lot of great ideas and, and cool ideas, but if it doesn't conform to who we are as a church and what we believe God is leading us in the direction, and if it, it's not building up, it's just something else. If it doesn't build up community, if it doesn't share the gospel, if it doesn't edify each other. But within this context, we're talking specifically about our words. And I think this is extremely practical for us. Because can we be real? There's a lot of things that we like to say. Whether because it just makes us feel good, it scratches an itch when we're mad at somebody, or when we like to just be funny and speak crassly, but ultimately we're just, we're perpetuating a problem that needs to be cut off and destroyed. If it doesn't build up, it does not belong. Now that last word, grieve. If we allow unwholesome talk to come out of our mouths, we then grieve the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, we see this word used in a number of different scenarios. First, when Herod himself was grieved in Matthew chapter 14 because of the promise he had made to his stepdaughter, Solomon. So if you dance in front of me and my friends, yes, if your mind's going there, that's what it means. Uh, if you dance in front of me and my friends and, and give us a good show, I'm going to give you whatever you want. Her mother was working behind the scenes because she hated John the Baptist. You want to know why? Because John the Baptist spoke the truth. And worked through that situation and said, all right, I gave you what you wanted. Now give me what I want. I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Because I don't like that he called out my sin. It's that idea right there of grieving. Herod was grieved because he heard something that he didn't want to hear. When the disciples in Matthew chapter 17 were grieved over Jesus' announcement of his death, saying, I am going to fulfill the reason that I came to die upon a cross. And his disciples were, Jesus, what are you talking about? Don't say that. What, you're going to leave us? Well, I thought you were the Messiah to, to reinstitute Israel. They were grieved. Last example, when the rich young ruler that we see in the Gospels and, and multiple accounts went from Jesus grieving because he was not willing to sell all of his goods. He heard something he wasn't ready to be obedient to. So we have these ideas of grief, and now it's applied to the Holy Spirit, specifically when the, within the context of us doing wrong. These are within the context, most of the time, of individuals doing right, and it's just hard to hear. The same attitude we need to realize is ascribed to the Holy Spirit in this moment. Our words hold power, and the Holy Spirit is gifting us the ability to be able to speak such life-giving words that hold power, but instead of using that gift that he has given us, as he dwells richly within us, we go around and we break people down. We dismantle godly institutions because it doesn't conform to the pattern that we prefer, and we grieve him like a parent grieves over their children. Now, we've got to get really real in this moment. Isaiah 63.10, we see an Old Testament usage of this very word for grieve. It says, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Same Holy Spirit, hundreds of years prior, are grieved by the people of God. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself 
fought against us. So first, we need to recognize that our words hold such power. Second, we need to recognize how unwholesome words can cause the Spirit of God to turn his favor into frustration. And, and I know this is a hard verse, but we see how God, he gives opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And here's where it's problematic. When we as the people of God completely vanquish, give up, disregard those free, gracious, merciful opportunities. We're not talking about, okay, I'm trying, but I'm not perfect and I'm falling. We're talking about, cool, I don't care. I want to give into sensuality. I want to put on my old self because I like the way that I used to look in it, even if it doesn't fit this new self. When we make those regular, daily, conscious decisions to say, I'm not going to even try, I'm going to do me today. There is a point, I don't know what that point is, but scripture is clear. There is a point where we grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it look like when he becomes our enemy? I don't know, and I'm not going to go too far with that. But I think based on the New Testament, that if he has given us the means to have such words of power over individuals, that maybe eventually if we keep denying and belittling and abusing that privilege that we've been given, he's eventually going to remove that gift. And then when we want to speak life to people and we do try, there is no life change. There is no charismatic power that that individual receives over them and can now be liberated from demonic strongholds in their life. Now we've removed our ability through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do that. Be careful that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We are called, as we saw last week, to, as we put off the old self, to be renewed in the spirit of our mind and to put on the new self, which I believe the spirit of God wants to do through spiritual edification of words spoken to each other. Don't let unwholesome words come out of your mouth. Finally, verses 31 and 32 say this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So we see once again just this, this final crescendo, this last bang right here where Paul is kind of categorizing a last few things, but then all of what he just said. Bitterness. That's the only word I want to talk about right here based on what we just saw. This is a settled state. And I, no, I'm sure this is what I believe. Bitterness is a settled state of animosity with no willingness to reconcile. I don't care what you say. I don't care what the world sa what the word says. I only care about what the world tells me and about how it makes me feel. Therefore, I'm going to remain in this position of anger, of unwillingness to come under the hand of God and to be humble. I'm going to be in a state of pride. And that that bears itself out in an ugly way, wrathful, vengeful, anger, clamor. Clamorous here means literally like we have no, it's literally this, this idea of no regard for a kind of social etiquette where we are out in public and we just start belittling people in a loud way, like tearing each other down, screaming at each other. I don't care who's around, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak my mind when, when the world sees that. I just don't care. Sensuality. I'm just going to do it the way that I want to. Be slander. May all that be put away from you. 
along with all malice. And then the opposite, here's how you are to walk. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Go back to everything we talked about. Paul's talking about forgive each other when, when, when truth is spoken to you. Be willing to forgive when lies are spoken against you. Don't harbor bitterness. That's where we as the recipients of a false word that's spoken against us can sin in our anger. These verses represent this overarching theme of taking off and putting on. Be done with this. It doesn't fit you anymore. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. It is, I don't know why, but I'm going to say it this way. It's bigger, it's better, it's more than you ever could have imagined it being. So when you try to put on your old self, it doesn't fit. Something's going to give. You're either going to have to manipulate who you are in your character to fit that version of yourself, or you embrace who you are. I do not want to go off track, but that sounded like if some of us need to exercise and lose weight because the doctor tells us to, do that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not making that application. Just embrace who you are, even though your doctor says you got to lose weight or you're going to die. That's not what I'm saying. Get the spiritual connection here, okay? You get it. I'm not, I'm not talking literally. I'm talking spiritually. Don't try to conform to what you once were. We're new creations in Christ. The old has gone. We don't need to try to fit the pattern of lies that were spoken over us for years saying you're only good enough if you do this. You're only going to be happy if you have this in your life. You're only going to please that individual if you're willing to. That last phrase, forgive each other just as God in Christ Jesus also has forgiven you. So it's time to put off falsehood and it's time to put on truth. How do we do this? Christ will always be our standard of truth. How do I know what to do? You look to Jesus. And I'm talking about you look to his word. Don't try and manipulate Jesus to fit a standard of what you think truth is or what you think love is. Because we can get that wrong all day long as we've seen throughout human history. Jesus is the cornerstone to whom we conform. And it's upon him as a foundation that we are being built up and arranged for the future final fulfillment of his redemption of humanity. Hmm. It's time to put off the old self and it's time to walk anew in Jesus name. Church, would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to say a prayer, and I just want to ask you, I know we all say amen, but when I finish the prayer, if you really validate what I'm going to intercede to God on behalf of all of us for, I want you to say amen, like you really mean it. I'm not talking about being loud and all that. I'm just saying when you say that word, don't just say it because everyone else is saying it. Don't say it because it's a pattern. Amen is an affirmation that what was just said is true, and I'm going to pray specifically in my own words that we would be a people, a body, a community that would daily recognize this 
doesn't fit me anymore. It's limiting me. It's constricting me. It's hurting me. It is a lie that I'm holding on to because I think I need to conform to this pattern of what is good, right, beautiful, enjoyable. And instead, Lord, I commit to put on the new self in Jesus, conforming to his pattern so that I would be able to experience what it means to be in the fullness of God. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you at the end. And when I when I give you the opportunity to say amen, if you say amen, walk in it when you leave from here today. All right. Jesus, I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you for its immeasurable, innumerable, constant, unchanging truth. And Lord, I thank you right now that we have been shown the way through Jesus. Jesus, you are our standard. You lived it. You walked it. You upheld the integrity of it. And now you showed us the way and you've empowered us. And you've given us the ability not to stand in condemnation when we cannot be perfect. You've done it all for us. We don't have to try to do it to the degree that you did it. We just need to walk as you walked. And you make up for all of our deficiencies. So, Lord, I pray today that we as a community of believers would put off the old self. Lord, your word is so countless in showing us what that looks like. I pray that as we live life, as we grow in our relationship with you, as you, Holy Spirit, convict us and reveal to us certain aspects of our lives that are not the new self, but they are the old self that we have been holding onto, that we allow to lay dormant, that we allow to lay hidden. God, that when we are, when that is revealed to us, we would call it out for what it is. We would rebuke Satan. We would plead the blood of Jesus Christ over our lives and say, Satan, you have no room in my closet anymore. I'm not going to put you on anymore. So Jesus, today I clothe myself with you, with your word, with your standard, with the utmost of integrity that has been revealed through your life. And Jesus, I walk in that fullness. I am a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Jesus, I thank you, I affirm your word, and I personally commit to live in it. Would you give me the strength to do it? Now, Jesus, this prayer goes before you on behalf of all of these people. And now I pray in Jesus' name that we together as a community, if we are willing to affirm that we will walk in this new life, we would affirm it together in this moment by everybody who says, amen. Amen, amen. amen. Give God praise this morning. <laughs>